Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Den här podcasten presenteras av Sonos. Hello, this is uh, Douglas McCarthy and uh, I'm in Stockholm for one of the many times that I've come through Sweden since the 1980s. I've been making music uh, originally with Nightsareb. Uh we started in 1982. Um So whatever that makes in years to 19 or 2017, I guess that's 35 years, which is uh, kind of incredible. So I'm here with uh, Frederick Stager, I think is the correct pronunciation. And we're in the music room, um, which is adorned with a lovely portrait of uh, Frederick's uh, wife's uh, grandmother. And we're sitting in front of her piano, which is a beautiful instrument that apparently uh, Frederick's daughter plays, which is good to hear that it's still in use. Photographs adorning the the walls, some of which are me, which is always nice. (laughs) There's a great Sigourney Weaver shot from Alien. Here I am with Frederick. Uh, We actually met... Um, as far as I know, but I'm terrible at remembering people, but as far as I know, we met for the first time just um, on Saturday night here in Stockholm as I was playing a show with uh, Terence Fixma as Fixma McCarthy. One of Frederick's friends um, um, seemingly got overexcited and danced a little too much for himself and had to lay down for a bit. He he collapsed. Yeah, he had fainted. From, he, he fainted. He, he right? fainted. He, he tried to um, w- w- uh, just right after the last song. He just you know collapsed on the floor. It's crazy. It's kind of frightening. He, he's actually in the hospital right now. Oh uh, my god! Um, well, he he was going there for a routine check anyway. Right. They, they were um, going to you know see if something was wrong with him. My 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 calf muscles are killing me. <laughs> Uh, they started to hurt last night because we were standing, me and my friend George, we were jumping up and down for the entire yeah. show. And I haven't been exercising that much lately. <laughs> it's always the way. 
So uh, he yeah. collapsed. That's and, really and my, my, my um, calf muscles are, are just hurting. Well, so it's, it's good uh, that you're just only with your calf muscles. But he's he's okay. Is that they've they've done I, checks I, on I, him? I think he's okay. He doesn't have a heart condition or anything. <clears throat> well, um, that's good. That's but good. It's, it's funny that the festival was called Body Fest, and our bodies aren't really what they used to be. <laughs> Tell me about it. Because he, he and I, we went, we went to see Knights Red back in 1989. Oh, yeah. Um, at Göta Leon in, in Stockholm. There's actually a poster here there on, on, on the wall. <laughs> this is, it's funny because this is the 27th episode of this podcast, and it's the first time that someone is actually looking down on us from framed pictures on the walls is there you a, go. a guest. So th- this is a very special episode. Um, back th- back th- when, when all our bodies were a little bit better than they are now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a poster from 1989. It's actually from, for the Gothenburg concert, which I didn't go to. I went to the one in Stockholm. I then, remember that one very well, actually, the Stockholm Yes, because yeah. there were um, like Nazi skeletons were, in the audience. There were, yeah. Yeah, it was a fearful, a fearful night. And they, they started off the show by Sieg Heiling and singing the yeah. Swedish national anthem. Yeah. And then at the end, you threw a bottle in the head of the one of the skinheads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, there was normally that kind of, uh, kind of raucousness back in the early days, even... Like one of our first ever, um, one of the first ever Knights of Red gigs. We, when we were starting off, we we uh, we grew up in um, an area east of London called Essex, which is synonymous with Depeche Mode. Uh, actually, Mark Boland was from Essex also, and um, there was a there was a, a big kind of punk contingent that were following Knights of Red. And they were, it was all very well. They were kind of following, but also an, antagonizing us, and we kind of antagonized them back. And uh, so, one of our earliest shows um, ended up in a, a literally a fight between us and the audience of these kind of raucous. Well, was that the heads. show at the Hermit Club? Because that's yeah. on, that's on YouTube. <laughs> oh yeah, that is. You, you, you can almost see the fight because <laughs> yeah. Bond goes down from stage to. Yeah, I think that's I mean, right. his, his sister was involved and she was pregnant. Yeah, she right? was pregnant. So what? that's how it all got. Well, what happened was that there was um, foolishly the club, the Hermit Club, which was in this place called Brentwood in Essex, a very kind of sleepy town that had like a quite a quite a posh private school was there. Anyway, so the Hermit Club foolishly had all of the the, the DI boxes at the front of the stage. And then what these punks were doing were trying to break the cables to stop the show but still kind of enjoying the show i don't know so then um there was one particular guy um that did end up breaking some of the cables and we used a lot of um pieces of metal as part of the performance at that time so bon took it upon himself to take a big tube of metal and <laughs> and jump into the audience to correct the intentions of this young punk. And then Bond's sister happened to be in the front, um, Corrine happened to be in the front, and, um, and he, this same guy, ended up kicking her in the stomach. So then it all kind of went a little crazy. But we were, you know, we were teenagers. <laughs> I asked you to bring a few songs with you, and you picked this one by The Birthday Party. Release yes. the bats. Yes. Doesn't get more goth than this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's 
It was around about this time that, that we, 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 would, we went to see them. 82, 83, it was around the time when we first were performing. Apparently th this song was meant as a bit of a self-parody. Right. You know, they were yeah. joking around with, yeah. with a very gothic image, but the yeah. goths took it at face value. Yeah. I read this article in The, the Telegraph mm. seven years ago. Um, the headline is, Music critic punched by neighbor over late night sounds. A music critic was given a black eye by his next door neighbor who objected to him playing tracks late at night in his semi-detached house. <laughs> David Simpson, 46, who writes for The Guardian, had been listening to Control I'm Here by the duo <laughs> Night's Reb when he was confronted. The constant thumping sound from the 1980s track disturbed Brian Edmonds. His neighbor, as he tried to watch television in his adjoined home, he marched to his neighbor's new house, grabbed him by the neck, pushed him back into the hallway, and punched him twice in the left eye. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's never really stopped, I guess, from the beginning. <laughs> I, I do. I vaguely remember that someone telling me that story as well. But it's, it's kind of strange that you know, Knights Reb in the early years was connected to lots of violence, and you even attracted. Uh, right-wing extremists mm. in some European countries, like like Sweden. Yes, uh, and at the same time, when you went to America, a large part of the audience was black and yes. gay. Yeah, so that must have been sort of confusing. I suppose. Well, the uh, yeah, the, the I mean, we never obviously. Uh, I mean, the, uh, the irony was is always with Nice Reb that politically we were all brought up. I mean, specifically myself. My parents were extremely left-wing my dad was an active union organizer and so i you know none of our politics were it was, i mean i maybe some of what we did was was definitely well it's not maybe the definitely we were we were trying to push some buttons by you know dressing in a in a, a totalitarian way and just you know but it, it, at the time you know if you wanted to you know if you were trying to look like a nazi you'd dress like a skinhead and we would regularly be beaten up when we were teenagers starting the band you know like wearing you know eyeliner and having our hair back combed as we used to have it and in chumpsford where we where we grew up we would regularly on it on a saturday you know you just get punched in the face by someone and that they were they were the they were the they were the violent ones and we were just trying to you want to cause some kind of reaction the as you as you rightly say the actually the 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 first time that we got any kind of notice outside of the UK was um was in Spain particularly in southwest Spain um around the town of uh uh, Valencia or Valencia, as they say, and um, it was it was kind of it was the precursor to what eventually became um, um, Balearic Beats or or Acid House. It was there was particularly there was a, a club, uh, Spook Factory was the club that would and it would open at like six in the morning, 
and close at like four in the afternoon. And this this club was um, they played a, a variety of different music and. It would be from, you know, from they would speed up music. So it'd be like a U2 track that would be looped and sped up. And then that would be mixed with a residence track and then mixed with a Knights Reb track. So we, we musically, we never really associate ourselves with, with anything in particular. But we did have a, a deep background in, um, in, 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 in you know, disco as well as punk what was happening in in places like in in Valencia and Spook Factory and also then was starting to happen in um, New York and San Francisco in gay clubs were it made total sense to us like we we were big fans of Sylvester and Divine and uh, even like and sort of the slightly later like Man to Man meets Man Parish all of that all that you know very heavy electronic music sounded exactly the same as what we were doing we didn't have any kind of separation from it so then when in chicago and detroit eventually it, it all of it made sense to us we never had any kind of focus on on one way of, of presenting who we were or what we wanted to do musically So yeah, so uh, so metal postcard, metal guys, and is, uh, is is from the first season of Banshee's album. Banshees are an interesting band because they were they were around in the very beginning of punk. You know, they were they were called the um, Southeast London. Um, had this like contingent of, of punks that would come into Central London, and I was obviously I was a kid, as you know, I was born in 1966, so I was only 10 years old when all this was happening. But when the you know as as the as punk in, during the, the year of 60 so 76 to 77 punk became known to the wider public um the the banshees were were susie and uh, uh, um, steve severin they were part of this initial um you know outburst of of new youth culture um, but they were the last band to be signed to uh, a label. It's a song celebrating metal. You know, yeah. a, a heavy metal band should cover it. <laughs> exactly. Actually, there, there's a Norwegian black metal band called Dark Throne who covered the B-side, this single. Oh, uh, really? Lo- Love in a Void. Oh, yes, brilliant. Yeah. Love in a Void. The first concert, or the first big concert I ever went to was Depeche Mode here at the Stadion 
1988 with, with you oh, as, yeah. as the opening act. <laughs> and I'd never heard you before. Right. I had never heard any kind of, you know, hard industrial music. And it was scary. Yeah. <laughs> and yet I, I felt this, you know, urge to be part of like the, the EBM movement or right. that kind of music. I wanted to explore it even more. So I, I bought your record and then I went to see you at the Hultsred Festival in 1988. Yeah, There's actually a picture from that show up there on the wall. Oh, yeah, I can um, see it. Yeah. And, yeah, I didn't and then before. I went to the shows in 1989 and 1990. And it, um, or Night's Reb made me buy my first pair of Dr. Martens, <laughs> get a new haircut, yes. start a god-awful industrial band <laughs> and start writing for a fanzine. So that's uh, it's funny because I, I don't think I've, I've had like hundreds of favorite artists, but Night's Reb is probably the band that has shaped my my career or my you know my my aesthetic my sense of aesthetics more than any other group. It's um, great, thank you. It, and you were the first band that I interviewed in English as well back in 1990. And oh, I, I, th I think we spoke for at Fryshus uh, during the Showtime tour right we spoke for like 20 minutes and then it took you another 20 minutes to sign all my records because i had so many with me <laughs> see i'm see, i'm terrible at remembering anyone but this is but... <laughs> this was 27 years ago yes yeah, so but i that. i actually i met you once more in in berlin uh, i have a friend called thomas hemstad who's a dj uh, yes, in, in berlin yeah, yeah yeah and he invited me and a friend um to a club night in kreuzberg once mm -hmm. and um, there were rumors that you were supposed to dj there so all we right. went there and it turns out you're not djing you're actually performing because um, you were going on tour with the Pesh Mode right yes. after that, so you you did a um, like a short concert, right? Uh, I once promised myself not to tell artists that I've l listened to a lot how much they mean to me because I I read this book by a Swedish punk musician called Kaisa Grit who loves Bruce Springsteen, right? And she once she met Bruce Springsteen here in Stockholm um, at this club. Mm -hmm. He sits with a few girls at a table and she, she approaches him. She gathers all her strength. Yes. She goes up to him and she says, I'm so sorry, Mr. Springsteen. I just wanted to tell you that you made me play music. And he says, so what? Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, he was probably trying to, you know. Trying to, trying to impress. Do you so, think it's probably like a male, female thing? That he, uh, was... he, he didn't want to be disturbed at that point. Anyway, I went up to you in, in Berlin <laughs> and I, I had been, you know, drinking maybe one or two, one too many vice beers. Yes. Uh, anyway, I, I tell you that, oh, you made me become a rock journalist. And you say, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which... <laughs> Oh, at least I was some, that, somewhat pleasant about that it. That was funny. <laughs> this is uh, Der Mussolini by Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft. They meant a lot to you, obviously. Yeah, they. It was. There was a. There was a record store um, called Parrot Records in Chelmsford. As teenagers would go to this this record store every Saturday and just kind of go through. We couldn't really afford that many records. Uh, Declining and Debosen was one of the first albums I bought in this record store because 
I like the cover actually. <laughs> and then when we played it, Vaughn and I were just like, yeah, this is. And it was on mute, that was a big draw as well. But This must be one of the greatest dance tracks of all time. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I, it's just. <laughs> I, I love how they. Um, like how, how they pretend as if some of the worst oppressors in history are dance, like dance moves. Yeah, exactly. So, so instead of saying do the mashed potato or do the funky chicken, they they say do the Mussolini or do the Adolf yeah. Hitler. Yeah, it's, it's really do the funny. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You were 15 when Night's Rev got started. Yes. What do you remember from those early days besides <clears throat> violence at concerts? Well, the very, the very, first, the very first concert we did was at uh, the YMCA in Chelmsford in Essex. And um, we rehearsed every Saturday for a year before doing it because <laughs> we, we wanted it to be so perfect. And uh, at the time we only had... We had one um, Roland SH-101 synthesizer, which has a sequencer in it, a step sequencer in it. So Bon had become extremely adept over the course of this 12 months that we were rehearsing for this show at um, very quickly programming the next bass line into the, the synthesizer. So all of these old synths, they... They work on its voltage control, you know, that's the whole VCA, that's the whole sound that you get. And the uh, the power in this particular YMCA building was um, fluctuating. So it kept going, like as the, as the song started, it would go out of tune because it was getting weaker um, current. And uh, so we'd, we'd rehearsed for a year for this and then everything was going wrong and I was... I was so it was actually really packed as well um and it was a punk night that's how we kind of got to have a lot of uh a punk audience in the beginning and uh I was I was absolutely terrified of performing so I stood holding ever ever tighter the microphone stand the more out of tune that the synthesizer went the tighter I held the mic stand and didn't move so my very first memories of performing were just out and out terror so what kind of bands were you into at that point um very much so the the birthday party um in terms of performance that really kind of changed for me specifically we we uh we went there was one show that we went to that kind of I mean for both Bon and myself and at the time Dave Gooday was also in the band uh we went to there was a venue that is no longer there in London called the Lyceum Theatre and so we saw the birthday party um and the opening bands were uh, Malaria and then it was um Einzender Neubauten's first ever show in the UK 
and then it was the birthday party. And as that evening continued, we kind of like everything that we had been trying to articulate but didn't quite know exactly what we wanted to do all came together in that seeing that performance the, between you know the sound of what malaria were doing and the the uh, the sound of what Neubauten were doing and then just the performance and it goes back in some ways to this this idea of violence that is actually a performance but it is it's violence but seeing Nick Cave perform that night just changed everything for us like that's we it was it was like a eureka moment we're like ah <laughs> this is what we would been trying to get our heads around but we hadn't kind of really got the focus so i'd i'd say between those bands um but also i mean obviously deutsche amerikanische freundschaft were a, a big influence bauhaus actually as well um killing joke theater of hate susan of banshees was a big influence This is the the Flowers Were Romance, Public Image Limited, John Lydon. the band started after the sex, after pistols, the sex pistols which was you know less less talked about but a lot more interesting musically exactly and then especially with this with this um with this album with the flowers of romance um it it, it, it was an influence on us musically as well like the, just the the rhythmic side of it the the, the rawness of it this actually sounds like fitness to purpose. Yeah, no, no definitely. <laughs> right? Yeah, there was definitely we were we were the rawness of the of the approach to the percussion and like allowing it to not necessarily be completely in time, like allowing it to have a a looseness to it. And he has a very special voice, yeah. John, John Lydon. Yeah. I think he once compared his voice to a bag of cats being slung down a staircase. <laughs> But it's, it's truly hypnotic. There's actually a new movie out called um, The Public Image is Rotten. Oh, really? A, a John Lydon documentary. It came out just last week. And he, he was banned from the opening party because <laughs> he showed up and he was so drunk that the security wouldn't let him inside the building, even though the party was in his honor. <laughs> well, it's good that he's still... You've often said that the name Neitzreb means absolutely nothing, that it was just supposed to sound a bit German, which yeah. it doesn't really. <laughs> it does. It, it sound... <laughs> we, were, we were teenagers from Essex, so... <laughs> we actually, I, yeah. But how, how did you come up with it? Was it just like a Dadaistic wordplay? Or it you... was, yeah, I mean, like, as in all, you know, like every teenager, you think you've discovered 
the the latest thing and or else you think you've discovered the person that discovered something so we without knowing anything about like um Geisen cut-ups we thought that we were copying David Bowie by cutting up letters and putting them in a hat and oh, so that's it. what you did yeah yeah but we didn't realize that actually Brian Geisen had like Bowie was copying Brian Geisen cut-ups before that you know so um yeah that's what we did we so we 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 wanted something to be graphically we wanted it to be um striking so we 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 chose like the the letters that seemed to be better to graphically and then a couple of words and eb was one of the words yeah and since eb actually you know means eb tide you yes. sort of think that the name has a meaning that it does mean something yeah i did we weren't that smart we were just it was it was just it was just like uh Yeah, we're, yeah, I mean, but then again, like maybe then the because of the lack of thought process, then that you you know obviously that's the the the, the philosophy behind the Geisen cut-ups is that you don't have any direction; it's just chance. Okay, so yeah, Cabaret Voltaire, landslide. Now uh, it's from um, from the uh, Red Mecca album. They were an industrial group from Sheffield. Yeah, from Sheffield. They, uh, there's a there's a there's a quote from uh, Richard H. Kirk who did the music. Stephen Malander did the singing, although he did uh, in the early days as well. I think Malander played a, I think a saxophone or something, but like not necessarily knowing how to play a saxophone. But there's a there's a story of uh, from Richard H. Kirk. Um, You know, because Sheffield is this was it's not so much anymore, but it's the home of British steel, and so there were these enormous hammers and and massive machinery that would make these massive sounds, and that was their influence. Like growing up in the early 70s, they started quite early. I think they started in like the like 74 or something. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. 
With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And that was, but that was the sound that they wanted to capture was these huge industrial machines. How did you get in touch with Daniel Miller and Mute Records? So we, we, did, a, we did a demo tape. It was actually a release. It wasn't even a demo tape. We released a, like a, a, a tape uh, called Basic Pain Procedure. Um, which that was the, the, that the, that tape is the kind of transition between us being more goth and or becoming less goth, I guess. Um, and so we'd sent out that tape to labels that we thought would be good to be signed to. So Mute, 4AD, Factory, and um, no one got back to us. <laughs> but actually. That's not true. Factory sent us a really nice letter back saying that they weren't interested, but they were very nice about it. There was a there was a producer that worked in this uh, this um, studio that was called PWL Pete Waterman um, Limited, and this guy Pete Waterman made his millions from. Um, making these very kind of straight ahead dance, uh, essentially like inspired by um, what was called at the time High Energy, which was basically gay disco. So is this Pete Waterman from Stock Aitken and Waterman? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I didn't know that you had any kind of connection to him. Yeah, so, we, so what happened was, so PWL, as they called it, the hit factory, Pete Waterman, uh, he had it. So in like, you'd walk into the, uh, you'd walk into the, the studio, which was in um, South London, sort of Stockwell, Brixton border. And he had, uh, he had an Exocet missile, <laughs> an Exocet missile in the reception and various other like kind of very kind of macho. Cause he's from, he's from Leeds, I think. I can't remember somewhere up North. Uh, anyway, so the, one of the engineers, producers there, um, uh, was a guy called Phil Harding, and so he worked on things like uh, Dead or Alive, um, Banana Rama, like the big hits that were, you know, what they made their money from. And um, Phil Harding and uh, his business partner came to the Hermit club 
and you know we got as the video i guess shows we got like two songs in and then just had a fight with the crowd and phil harding apparently <laughs> said we need to sign this band because <laughs> he thought it was a brilliant idea <laughs> so so we started working with this guy uh phil harding and we made uh, between him and his partner we made a, our own record label it was called power voice communication and we released Initially, we released a, a four-track EP called Isn't It Funny How Your Body Works? And then we went on to do uh, Warsaw Ghetto and then uh, Let Your Body Learn. And at the point of releasing Let Your Body Learn, um, then Daniel Miller uh, contacted us. The phone number that was on, the, like the contact number, was my mum and dad's home number. And my mum answered the phone one day and said, Douglas, there's a Daniel Miller to talk to you. <laughs> and, and it was, that's how we, he basically heard that and wanted to sign us. And Daniel Miller, he put out a record as The Normal called Warm Leatherette, which yes. you, you sang the other night at yeah. Bodyfest. A great cover version. Thank you. I, I wanted to play you something else by Daniel Miller. Yeah. Just a walking down the street singing do a This was a sh short-lived group called the Silicon Teens. Or, well, not short-lived because they didn't actually exist. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. just a made-up band. Yeah. And the members were called Jackie, Paul, Diane and Daryl. <laughs> and Daniel Miller recorded the entire thing himself. And then he let Fad Gadget um, act as Daryl in a few interviews, I think. Yeah. But it, it's funny how he went from, you know, the fetish industrial disco of Warm Leatherette to this... Very bubblegum electronic pop. Yep. Yes, I did, and so I told her all the things I've been dreaming of. I'd like to play you a song that I thought that you wrote at first. Okay. And I'm playing this on my Sono speaker. So this is, of course, the Rolling Stones, Stray Cat Blues. It's the B-side to your single, I Give to You. Yeah. And it's probably your, your sleaziest vocal performance <laughs> ever. You, you sound dirty when, when singing this track. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very fun to do. We recorded it in, uh, for some reason, I, the circumstances are very odd. Uh, why we, uh, we decided to do a cover version, I can't quite remember. 
but obviously we either didn't have a track that we wanted to put on there or we just really wanted to do this track but we in order to record it we actually used Daniel Miller's home studio um, so I don't I can't remember the circumstances why we weren't just in a normal studio but it was it was quite hilarious at the time because he don't, he, he hadn't he hadn't lived in it was like this big loft I think he still lives there this big loft apartment in um, in south of the south of the River Thames uh, but like right on the River Thames and um, so like Dan, we would go over to Daniel's house um, during the day and we're working on this session I guess we only spent like three four days on it but it was this bizarre circumstances where Dan would come home from work, you know, from mute from the office and we'd be in his studio in his house and it was just this weird kind of like again parental kind of uh, relationship with Daniel Miller. <laughs> I remember kind when of. when the Stones came to Sweden back in 1982 and everyone was talking about you know you should really go see them now because this is probably the last chance. There's no way that Mick Jagger will be strutting around on stage in his 40s. You know, that won't happen, so see them now. So were you friends with Depeche Mode before you signed to Mute since no. you came from the same area? No, they they were from, I mean, it's actually, it's a, Essex, although it's a small county, is very territorial. And so they were from South Essex and we were from North Essex. Oh. So, um, but Dave had a girlfriend who was from Chelmsford. Um and so there were people we knew that knew Dave, but we didn't really. They, they used, there was a there was a club called Crocs in Rayleigh, which was sort of halfway between Chelmsford and Basildon, where Depeche are from. And um, they they actually they actually had little like baby crocodiles in the in the club, which, <laughs> which you, you probably wouldn't be allowed to do these days. Um, and um, and Depeche had a residency there, but um, I, I well, we were all too young to get into Crocs to see them, but I especially looked very young, and so I was never allowed to go in. But Dave, who always the drummer, Dave Dave Goodo, always looked a lot older, so he was able to go and see them. But that was that was the kind of connection we had, and then. Um, once we signed um, to to mute, then Daniel's first request was that we went on tour with 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 Depeche for the uh, music for the masses, which kind of introduced you to a very big audience. Yeah, and again, because we were petulant teenagers, we initially refused to go on the tour because we thought it would be selling out. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we we really did refuse to go on the tour. So, how did he convince you to go on the tour? He just sort of 
acted like a dad and told us that we had to do it. But I, I think that you also refused to open for David Bowie yes. in 1987. You know, yes. that, that might sound <laughs> insane now, or maybe it was insane, but st- people tend to forget it's, how much David Bowie sucked yeah, no, on the awful. Glass Spider tour. The Glass Spider tour, yeah, yeah. no, that, that was, we, so what happened was as well that Erasure had already done some shows and our, our um, tour manager is very good friends with Vince and so we heard all these terrible stories about the tour. Like at one point one of the legs had come off the glass spider i guess and they couldn't like they it would they you know it was losing so much money like there were there were a couple of promoters that went bankrupt from that tour because it was just it was a terrible tour so yeah we i mean you know looking back on it is it's definitely one of my regrets just because it could have been hanging out with you know meeting david bowie but you, it you've was, never met him have you no right. never met no. him yeah so there's that regret but I stand by our decision. <laughs> It's a terrible tour. This is a song that was a huge hit five years ago. This is the, the Italian EDM duo Nari and Milani. Yeah. I, I heard this because the Swedish House Mafia and Avicii played this track a lot during their DJ sets. Yeah. And they, they played it for, you know, huge audiences. I know. Uh, I, I was on tour with Avicii writing an article about him. Oh, really? Just w- when this one came out. And I hadn't heard it. So all of a sudden, I'm, I'm standing there being, you know, slightly <laughs> bored. And then I hear this sample from Night's Reb's Let Your Body Learn. So I told him about, you know, where the sample came from. And I told him about Night's Reb. And I told him that, you know, EDM, you know, that's not the thing. You should get into EBM. That's a lot better. Sadly, he didn't go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, there was... Uh, so then when this was being... When the Swedish House Mafia were playing out a lot... And they were doing a huge tour of the States. And that they'd end every set that they played would end with this. So Knights of Reb finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the members of Swedish House Mafia was called Sebastian Ingrosso. His half-sister is a young artist called Rain. Got her career going after seeing Knights of Reb at the Arvika Festival in 2006. <laughs> really? And she, she's one of the few female EBM artists around. Yeah. She sounds like this.
standing right in front of the stage when you played in Arvika. But it was one of your first reunion gigs, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, I hadn't seen you for 11 years, so I didn't know what it would be like. But with the Courtney Klein on drums, the whole thing. And she, she was very, I mean, Rain was very inspired by seeing a girl on stage with you. So that's why she, that's how she started thinking about, you know, I, I want to do this myself. That's great. And she was a punk for that, and then she turned to electronic music. Brilliant. You became you became friends with the Peshmod right at the time when they became really 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 massive. Yeah, like in eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, yeah. ninety one. Yeah, well, how did they? You know, how did they react to such a tremendous success? What do you remember from that? Because I, I read this interview with Anton Corbin a couple of years ago, where he talked about the bands that, that he had worked with, and he said that you two, for instance, they it was very important for them that everyone in the band felt good so they had regular meetings where they you know just checked that everything was going right. smoothly that you know everyone was happy okay and then he compared the many meetings that you two had with you know the complete lack of communication <laughs> within the pesh mode where no one really talked to anyone and and he, he had this theory about you know that you two was more they were more connected to each other Whereas he, he was actually surprised that the Pesh Mode had kept going for such a long time because <laughs> they didn't really get along. <laughs> they, well, it was, <laughs> it, it, there's, a, there's a lot to do with also coming from, I mean, with the exception of, of Alan Wilder, who obviously had joined later and came from Hammersmith, actually, came from West London. Um, but there's a lot to do with the, the, the basic... I'd say ideology or ethos of coming from Essex, which is very, very brash. And it's, it's, it's based in a lot of humor, but it, it is a kind of aggressive way of, or combative, I'd say, rather than aggressive, combative way of, of communicating. I mean, what I remember where music for the masses was you know we didn't even realize that that was that you know when you're involved in something with you know a, a moment in history where things are clicking into another gear so they were just about to become like supremely fantastically huge in the states they were already get on their way in europe for sure and so what had happened was actually we'd uh, during and we'd got on so well with them all on that european tour that they then asked us to go on the US tour and Daniel didn't want us to do it because Daniel Miller wanted us to do another album, do the next album. And we, you know, he, and it's, you know, I, I, the irony is obviously that he had convinced us to go on this tour in the first place and then we enjoyed it so much and the, the Depeche guys enjoyed it so much that they asked us to come. So then he relented and let us go on this tour to be in the, in the States, which went on to be, you know, that's where they made the, the 101 movie and they played at, um, at the Pasadena Rose Bowl. Um, and at the time, it was quite difficult um, to get work permits into the US um, for bands. Um, and it was reciprocated back and forth. It was quite hard for Americans to come to the UK or to Europe 
And uh, U.S. immigration denied us entry because they said that we lacked musical merit. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, yeah, kind of. (laughs) So we never got in. But did they listen to the records? I guess. I don't know. Someone did. These guys can't play. (laughs) We shouldn't let them in. (laughs) (laughs) Keep these idiots out. Let's listen to the first industrial band ever. (laughs) This track is not that industrial, though. It's more... (laughs) Techno popish, <laughs> techno popish, but yeah, industrial music for industrial people. Thro- throbbing wrestle, <laughs> yeah. It's called hot, "Hot on the Heels of Love." One of the reasons I'm playing that this song is that your wife Hazel, yes, um, Hazel Hill McCarthy, has directed a movie about Genesis Peoridge, yes, the leader of Throbbing Gristle, where he goes uh, to West Africa to explore the voodoo religion and reconnect with his deceased wife, yes, through voodoo. Yes. And you, you went along on yeah. this movie project to, yeah, to assi- I, uh, assist your wife. Yeah, I was. Uh, so I, I was. I produced the film um, with her, with Hazel, and then we we went twice. Actually, we took Genesis twice to to West Africa to a country called Benin, small country. Yeah. So Hazel came came across uh, the this the, the uh, a festival a voodoo festival in um, Wida in Benin, which is this old um, slave town, um, and it's supposedly the origin of 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 voodoo, as they call it there, pronounce it colloquially, and this amazing ceremony that they do, and this the the uh, the 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 kind of spectacle of it reminded Hazel of what Genesis and other um, other twentieth century artists have done, and like Western artists have done in terms of making spectacle and making um, uh, changing perceptions of of what you're viewing. So Hazel was the one who introduced yes. Genesis Peoridge to to voodoo. Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, Genesis always always had to that specific voodoo. Genesis had with with Lady J, who's her the late wife. Um, there was a, more of a Haitian voodoo heritage there that they or history that that with Lady J, and Genesis wasn't aware of the the actual West African or wasn't familiar with the West African voodoo. And Genesis, um, maybe we should point out that he, he actually tried to become his wife yeah when, they, when, they, when they were together he transformed into a copy of his wife or, or, or a twin or together yeah exactly they 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 formulated this this and concept he had, a, he had a sex change as well it's not or, a complete sex change jen has boobs but he still has is, is he on his, hormones or is, no, no it was it's like implants so they it was through surgical procedures and and they called the process pandrogyny so it was uh, it was to be neither male nor female, but to be something in between both of those, to exist as both male and female. Yeah. 
I was checking out old Knights Reb set lists. On, there was a w- page on the internet called um, setlist.fm okay. where you can check you know, which, you know, which track your favorite band has played the most times, for instance. And I was surprised that, according to this site, the song that Knights Reb has played the most is Lightning Man. It's a really popular song. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I would have expected Murderous or something. On the other hand, the, they don't have set lists from a lot of the early shows. Yeah, um, that's, so maybe that's it. But no, the, something is, it's, it's something that Bon and I um, kind of chuckle at when we're playing, like, you know, especially like very kind of EBM-orientated festivals or to an audience that is very EBM considering that there's a clarinet <laughs> playing all the way through the track, it's really popular as an EBM track. Also, <laughs> the vocals are kind of rap-like in a way. Yeah, it's... a little this sort of spoken word. Well, when I interviewed you back then in 1990, you told me that the, the lyrics were inspired by you going to some bad area of New York. And it was the... actually, it was DC. It was DC, and some, some kids came up to you and they said... You be careful out there. You're not going to get far. We're going to pluck you off. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Well, they, they, they'd come up, they'd asked us for, uh, uh, it was actually, it was all of the band and our then uh, manager, Steve Toth. Um, and we were, we were walking, it was a day off and we were walking around um, DC and uh, had kind of just wandered off, which it was easy to do back then, wandered off like the main street. And then these, yeah, these kids came over and like they wanted the cigarette lit. So Steve, our manager, was lighting one of these kids' cigarette, and then he said, as he's like taking a puff, "You better be careful out there. You're not going to get far. We're going to pluck you off." And then we were like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> but who was the lightning man? It sounds like you know, the, like a horror figure, like you know, the Candy Man or the it's Slender kind of Man. Very or... much so, Leah. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of uh, of Candy Man, of the original one, um, and it was that kind of idea. Like, it really reminded me the scene that we were in was kind of like that. Um, you know, the, where the original film, that's the Candy Man film, shot in Chicago, was in actually Cabrini Green, which is this. I went there. I went to Chicago to interview R. Kelly, and I asked my cab driver to take me to Cabrini Green because I wanted to see, you know, the Candyman area. Yeah, and he refused. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it was a, I, I think a really the, dangerous the, area. The entire, you know, area has been demolished. It's by gone now. now yeah, yeah, but it's- yeah. So it was, it was definitely I, that the, you know, like the the influence was these kids saying what they said, and then it just kind of developed into this idea that you have this this character, this 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 entity who's makes you do bad things and that's the lightning man when you were on tour uh, i think back in 1990 you you met bono from u2 yes who um, said to you that you reminded him of jerry lee lewis a young jerry lee lewis thankfully which which kind of (laughs) you know you've always had this this energy reminiscent of the killer it's it's not it's a pretty good (laughs) comparison i think yeah yeah it was i i took it as a uh i took it as a compliment we were drinking, a, sharing a large bottle of vodka whilst he was telling me this. And uh, you kept referring to him as Bongo. Bongo, indeed. Bongo. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, during the conversation, and we, we were conversing quite a lot. And this, this was a, we were playing at a giant stadium, like, sold out giant stadium. So it's like 55,000 people. And it was, um, it was, they'd added 
Jesus and Mary Chain to the bill. So it was us, Jesus and Mary Chain, and then Depeche. And then by the time Depeche were going on, then Bongo said that he wanted to go and walk through the crowd. And so he did. He went, he took his, like, you know, the security guys and walked through the audience as, as Depeche were playing, which is a. How did that odd. work out? People were like falling over, you know, and they're like, it's. <laughs> There's bongo coming by you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Frederick, it's really nice. Thank you so much for having me over. Uh, Thanks for coming here. It's a great honor. Thanks. Well, and uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you again, but I'm going to run off now. You be careful out there. (laughs) I'm going to pluck you off. Go tell your mother and your father too Go tell your brothers and think your sister knew Den här podcasten presenterades av Leon Media i samarbete med Sonos. Producent var Daniel Bäckström och Douglas McCarthy var hemma hos Dragen. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.